Good morning, New Life East. How are you? Yeah, lots of uh, murmurings and great. Hey, why don't you stand up on your feet this morning? If you're able to, good to see your faces. See a lot of first-time guests in here. Glad to have you with us this morning. And uh, we're in the presence of the Lord. So this is John chapter 4. The woman at the well asked Jesus for a drink of water. And Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God and the one who asks you for a drink, he says, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the truth is, we know the one who's asking for a drink and we know the gift of God. And all we have to do is ask. And somehow the presence of the Holy Spirit comes to us. The water of God comes to us, refreshes us, and wakes us up to the presence of God. So church, I want to invite you just to lift your hands like this. The most fundamental thing that we need in our lives is God. We need nothing more than we need God. And the good thing about our God is that he says, you just need to ask for me. Just ask. Just open up your heart to me. And somehow the presence of the Spirit begins to insinuate itself into our lives. And so we say, come Holy Spirit. Come into our hearts, come into our lives, come into our minds, enliven us to the presence of God. We pray all of the places where we feel dead, all of the places where we feel dry, all of the places of our lives where the ground is parched and cracked. We pray that the rain of the Spirit falls. Zechariah says, ask the Lord for rain. And so this morning we ask that the rain of God would fall on weary ground and that you'd cause praise and faith to spring up again in this house. Granted, we ask in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said. All God's people said. There it is. Let's worship.
set today. I, was, I remember this time as a kid where I was in church and I just went, never thought anything of it other than this is what I do. And we were learning this skit thing for Lord, I lift your name on high. I don't know. It, it was viral before things were viral. And I, I lifted my hands. It had to be one of the first times I ever lifted my hands. And I had no idea what I was doing. And it would have been great if I had known. <laughs> So just in case anybody's in that gray area of why are we lifting our hands today? What's the point? Is it just to feel good? Is it just to show emotion? Well, there's actually multiple reasons we do that. And I felt led to share that today. And one of those examples is out of Exodus and we see Moses with his arms raised high. You got people holding his arms up. And as long as he's holding his arms up, their God is defeating the Amalekites. There's a battle going on. And that physical sign of their faith, their obedience, actually changed what was happening on earth. If you're in a battle, it's good to engage your body in faith. It's a show of what we believe and why in the Lord, he gathers around that and he does things. It's not a science. I don't know what he does all the time, but he does something. And then on the other hand, we have in the Psalms, a communal prayer that says, I, I'm a dry, parched desert land and I thirst for you and I stretch my arms out toward you. And that's a completely different kind of lifting of the hands, but it's a desperate cry of, Lord, we need you, we thirst for you. So whether you feel like you're in the battle or if you're just desperate for a touch from the Lord, a simple raising of the hands is a great way for you to engage in your faith today.
We're going to keep singing here in just a minute, but um, I shared this with our volunteer teams today. I want to help set us into a space of worship with all that we bring into it. First of all, can I just give you guys the invitation to do this? I recognize this is true for me that like Sundays we find our way in here and we step into worship and there's all sorts of things going on. Can I give you the invitation to just like stop and take a deep breath? Just breathe in. Most of us live with like our breath right here most of the time. And then we're trying to sing to God and we're just out of breath and it's like anxiety is holding on to and I recognize that. So let's just deep breath for a second. I was sitting at the table in our kitchen this morning with our four-year-old son and um, four-year-olds say all sorts of like bizarre things and you can't really understand where it even comes from. They have like no concept of like physics or time or space or anything. But my son, he he looks around our house and he says to his sister, he goes, you know, when I turn a hundred years old, I'm going to break through this house. And it kind of like stopped me for a second because I was like, what an odd thing to say. But in his mind, what he's, what he's thinking is that as a human, until the day he dies, he's just going to physically keep growing. Now, I'm not sure I know what he then thinks about me at five foot 10. If he's like, just something's wrong with my dad. He just it stops somewhere. But in his mind, he's like, until the day that I die, I'm just going to keep growing up. I'm going to all of a sudden be a giant one day and I'll break through this house. That's at least how his words articulated it this morning. And as he said it, I realized that faith in many ways is meant to have actually that trajectory, that until the very day that we die, our faith and our trust in Jesus is meant to just keep growing and growing. But the truth is, this is I think universally true for all people is that we have these moments where we run into walls, where our faith has been growing, it's been expanding, and all of a sudden we have this moment where it just stops. The practices of faith that we had just don't work anymore. The way that we talk to God, it just doesn't work anymore. The way that we stepped into worship, it just doesn't work anymore. And so we find ourselves asking for new ways to engage and to get through the wall and I thought about it this morning that there are people who hit that wall for a lot of reasons but I think there are a lot of people the more I talk to folks who hit that wall simply because despair has set in on their lives that whether it be grief and loss of some kind whether it be some sort of doubt has set in whether it just be that their mental health has sort of gone awry they find that their faith has just hit a wall and they need a way forward. And you know, the, the truest thing is we come up with like all sorts of different practices and new ways to tweak things, but the, the truest thing we can do when we find ourselves in moments of despair and moments of grief and moments of, moments of doubt, the best thing we can do is take all of that and tell the truth about it and then place it in the hands of the God who can do something with it. And so what I wanna invite us to do this morning, all of us, for some of you, this is, more real than it is for others, would you open up your hands and would you hold out before God all those things that have sort of been the like, the cause of you hitting the wall. Maybe pain has been inflicted upon you. Maybe anxiety, depression, sadness has just started to pull your soul apart. 
Maybe it's just doubt. Maybe the idea that God is in fact as good as he says he is just seems not true as you look across the landscape of your life. And what I want to do is give you the opportunity to quite literally take those things and place them in his hands this morning. You just don't have to hold them. We're going to step into this song here in just a second. And we're going to try, we're going to do our best as we sing these words to see God to see ourselves as clearly as we can. But I wanna invite you, you don't have to all of a sudden switch from this moment and start singing. You can just keep handing the Lord stuff. So band, when you're ready, lead us in. But until then, stay in this moment.
this out together and just believe with our whole hearts today. Come on. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made of one being with the Father. Through him, all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no ends. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, universal, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Come on, can we All just right, lift this on, up church. to the Lord? Can we join me and sing holy, holy.
God, we, we ask that we would never miss your holiness when it's in our midst. The church would not become some sort of stale, repetitive behavior, but that we would, we would continue to have moments like this morning, even when, the, when screens don't work and technology is misleading and your presence still sits with us. It can hold our despair and our frustrations and our apprehensions and all of it. God, would we never be people who miss these moments? Would we never miss these moments? God, we are thankful for the kind of God that you are, that you meet us in this space. It's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, Amen. Man, it's been a beautiful morning to worship with you all. If we haven't had the chance to meet before, my name's Rory. I'm one of the pastors here. It's so good to see you. If you're a guest with us, we're especially glad that you've joined us. You'll notice in the row that you're seated in, there are guest cards all throughout that row. Feel free to grab one of those. And you can, if you want to scan the QR code that's on one of those cards and let us know that it's your first time here, or you can bring it with you, fill it out to uh, Connect Central just on your way outside of the doors. Some of our volunteers will be there. We have a gift for you as well. We would love to just say thank you for being a part of a weekend here at New Life East. Now, if uh, if you've been around New Life East for a while, you know that we just transitioned to moving into RMCA and it's been a beautiful space. But one of the other transitions that happened in the midst of that was Katie Hoover. Where's Katie at? Katie's right here. Katie, come up here and join me. Katie stepped into the role of kids director here at New Life East. And so what I wanna do is bring Katie up this morning um, because you all drop your kids off in that hallway down there and beautiful things happen. And then you come in here and beautiful things happen, but often there's a bit of a disconnect. So Katie, what is going on down the kids hallway right now? I have an excellent story to tell you just about that. Yeah. My family has a story that we love to tell about my nephew. Um, when he was about five years old, he was the kind of kid that got out of the bed, immediately donned his superhero costume, wore it all day long, sweat, food, all the things and didn't take it off until he crashed into bed at night. So this is the kind of child we're talking about here. So uh, my sister is saying good, saying good night to him. And um, it's an exciting moment because he explains to her one night that he's invited Jesus into his heart. Um, unbeknownst to her, he just tells her at bedtime, this has just happened. So she um, is so moved, you know, they, they have more conversation around it. She calls us and is like, hey, guys, this is incredible. This happened. Um, so a few days later, we get another call from her. And um, my nephew has reported again at bedtime that he invited Spider-Man into his heart this time. Yes. So just in case Jesus wasn't going to cover it, um, he wanted to make sure he had some other resources. But I tell you that story because um, back in our kids hall, uh, and you guys know this, you've been around kids long enough. Um, the outcomes are mysterious. Are they not? <laughs> it's not like input output. So um, I think what I want to share with you guys this morning is that what our volunteers are doing back in that hallway is not like an input output kind of a situation. Um, they are literally persistent in love. That was the word that came to my mind as I was thinking about them. They are persistent in love. 
And that looks like beautiful moments of hearing kids recite memory verses that you didn't know they knew or telling you things back to you that you just told them and they actually remembered. Yikes. Um, but it also looks like loving the little boy that's having a hard time with authority. And it also looks like um, loving the families that um, are just dealing with all kinds of trauma and difficulty. And those kids are walking into our classroom. So um, the thing that I would love to say about East, and I think I, think I can actually already say it, but I want to say it even more, is that East takes care of their kids. I want, it, I want that to be a trademark of what we do for our families because our kids are a part of all of us. We are not disjointed from them. You guys here are just older versions of the, all the little people I see in the hallways, you know? Um, so what I would just like to encourage you to do is if you haven't ever served, keep in mind the Easter's coming up. We've got so many spaces for you to plug in there. That may just be a one-time thing, but we would love for you to just consistently partner with us in persistently loving our children. They deserve it from us. We have um, our QR code. Ooh, is it still up? It's okay. I came from the day when I didn't use computers growing up. So you could also just get on your computer and go to any New Life website. doesn't matter what congregation. There's a serve tab that you can click on and get to our application for serving. If you haven't done that, that's what you do. If you're already serve approved, some of you are, um, maybe it's Most time to just are. say. <laughs> serve approved for kids. Kids, that's, yeah. Um, just maybe think about, hey, is it time to rejoin? Is it time to plug back in? Um, I have a lot of volunteers that are sitting next to you in service. You're not back in the kids' hall all the time, uh, just every once in a while. So thank you so much for, I know I'm going to see tons of new faces. So thank you for responding because that's what you guys do best. And thanks for letting me share with you. That's good. Thank you, Katie. Scan that QR code. Stop by Connect Central if you're interested in serving. We'll make it happen for you. Why don't you take a second to turn and say good morning to someone around you? Good morning. The Lord be with you. The Lord be with you. Can you hear me? All right. Hey, good to see you all this morning. I love worshiping uh, together with this church family. I love New Life East. It's good to be part of this church family. I wanted to just say thank you. If those of you, those of you that are new this morning, my name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, joy to have you in our house. Just wanted to say thank you this morning uh, to all of you who extended your thoughts and prayers and condolences. I had a uh, grandmother on my dad's side of the family 
uh, passed away last Sunday uh, during the Super Bowl, 91 years old. And uh, we've had so many people, just kind of this outpouring of love and support. I'm so sorry, you must be so brokenhearted and all that. And we are sad that grandma's not here, but it was an awesome ending for her. Uh, she had been in a nursing home for a couple years. Her health had kind of been on the decline. And then this is kind of how the story goes. The last couple days before she passed, she was real sort of like, she just wasn't opening her eyes a lot and was not very present. And then the last day, last Sunday, all of a sudden she had like this surge of energy. She just kind of rallied. And uh, she was very alert and very aware and talking with all of her family members. And then her two primary caretakers, my aunts, uh, Aunt Sue and Aunt Vicky, were in the room with her Sunday afternoon, having conversation with her, catching up, checking in on her. And then all of a sudden there was a lull in the conversation. And grandma, they said she was kind of looking around the room. And then all of a sudden her eyes just kind of set. And they looked at each other and they went, that was it. Like, just like that. Like, talk about sticking the landing. <laughs> it's amazing. And, and so they share this, like, sacred ground moment with each other. And then, of course, I come from a real big family, my dad's side of the family. So 80 to 100 aunts gathered together on Thursday in Marshfield uh, to celebrate the life of this good woman. And it just made me think about how in the ancient church, one of the ways that we used to talk about discipleship, uh, the Latin for it is the ars moriendi. And discipleship, what that translates into is the art of dying. That all of our life that we live is a preparation for dying well. And it just made me think that the way that you die well, for the most part, all things being equal, is that you live well. That you live in a way that's faithful and devoted and committed to your people. And the fruit of that is reaped in kind of that, that moment. So I'm saying that to you to say thanks for the condolences. I'm saying that to you to also to say, practice the ars moriendi, the art of dying well. That's, we live well by keeping the day of our death in front of us. I'm also saying that to you to say, um, those of you that know me pretty well, know that um, I'm sort of like a highly sensitive person, like environmental things. like really, And so I crossed a time zone and then crossed back, which a lot of you are like, no big deal, right? This like throws my world in complete chaos. And so I've been up at three in the morning for like the last like four nights in a row. Uh, including this morning. And so, if I start babbling incoherently, you can assume that the Spirit has fallen upon me and I'm speaking in a prophetic utterance of some kind. And I'll just ask somebody with the gift of interpretation of tongues that you will come up and you're going to just carry it in to a completion, nice landing there, and then we're going to go to the table and it's going to be great. Okay, John chapter 5, I'll invite you to turn the scriptures. I've enjoyed this series in the book of John so much, and as we've gotten deeper and deeper into it, I've come to think of these scenes in John that we've looked at more and more almost like works of art. They really are these like beautifully composed pieces. And those of you that are like art aficionados or fans in the room, you know that some of those favorite pieces that you have, part of what makes them your favorite piece is not just that it's like, oh, well, isn't that pleasant? But there's something about like looking at them that the longer you look at them and the more you study them, the more you realize that there are all of these little details that have this way of like connecting with your soul and resonating with you. You just have to like linger with them in some way. Or actually another way that I was thinking about this was like, um, do y'all remember like back in the 90s when there was this big craze in office buildings around the United States, like 3D art? Do you remember 3D art? Does anybody, okay, some of you were alive in the 90s. I realize that not... All of you were, but 3D art, 3D art was like this art that it looked like 
uh, like multicolored static electricity that you just kind of took a snapshot of. Do you remember this? And then what you do is you would like stare at the 3D art for a long time. And, uh, and then people that like were like experts at the 3D art, this is what they would say. They would be like, well, you have to like cross your eyes a little bit and look at it. And so you kind of like do that. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you would like see it. And I'm not even kidding. Like all of a sudden the thing would like jump off the page and it would be like dolphins. And you're like, dolphins, who cares? I've seen like lots of dolphins, but that was it. It was something about like looking at it and looking at it in a certain way, kind of getting in this posture. All of a sudden it would like leap off the page to you. And I actually think that the whole scripture is like that. But these stories in John are especially like that. That when you linger with them, that they have this way of kind of jumping out at you. And that's actually been one of the things that's been frustrating also about this series. Is that I feel like we get done preaching these messages and then a week later I'm like, oh my gosh. Can we just like go back and do the, and you can't, you have to keep moving. So this is John chapter 5. And I want you just to listen and to gaze at this story and see what the Lord might say. To you and to all of us in it, here's the word of the Lord, John chapter 5. Sometime later, John says, Jesus went up to Jerusalem uh, for one of the Jewish festivals. And now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. And here a great number of disabled people used to lie, uh, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. And one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. So think about that. Can't take care of himself, can't move about. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him this question, the question that he's asking to us today, do you want to get well? Sir, the Greek here is Lord, actually. So he doesn't, we're going to find this out in the story, that he doesn't know, actually, that it's Jesus, the son of the living God, who's talking to him. But there's something in his heart is bearing witness to the presence of this man, which is, I think, why he calls him Lord here. It says, sir, it's translated sir in the English, but the Greek is kuri, Lord. Lord, the invalid replied, I have nobody to help me get into the pool when the water is stirred. And while I'm trying to get in, uh, somebody else goes down ahead of me. And then Jesus said to him, verse 8, get up, uh, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. And the day on which this took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders uh, were none too happy about this. They said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. And so they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? And the man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you're well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. And the man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord and all God's people said. And so we pray, Lord Jesus, have your way among us. Come. We thank you that this story is not just a story of one man a long time ago, but somehow all of human history and all of our lives are contained in this story. This story is an icon. It's a picture. And all of the details are saying to us something about the economy of salvation, what you're doing for us. And so we just pray that the grace of the Spirit would fall upon us in these next moments that we have together. We ask that we would settle in. We ask that we would open our hearts We ask that our minds would be open, and we ask that instead of reading the scriptures this morning, we ask that by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus would read us by the scriptures and read our lives to us by the scriptures. So come, we pray. We're very desperate. We really need you. We need you worse than we even realize we need you. 
So we say to you this morning, Lord Jesus, come have your way, help us, grant that the words of the preacher's mouth this morning and the meditation of the hearer's hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said. Have I babbled incoherently yet this morning? We're doing pretty good? All right, train is still on the tracks, feeling great about that. I love this story for so many reasons, but one of the details that I want us just to focus on right out of the gate is just who is being talked about here, who is the subject here. And it says that in verse 3, that this man was lying here with a great number of disabled people, the blind, so those that can't see, the lame, those who can't walk, and the paralyzed, those who can't move their bodies in any way. And I think that this is John's way of kind of creating a metaphor for thinking about what it means to live in a fallen world. Um, One of the things that, or a world really that is baked in sin, And one of the things I think that sometimes we get wrong about sin is that we think about sin in a way that's much too small. So when we think about sin, for the most part, I think that most of us think that sin primarily is an issue of guilt. So we do something that's wrong and therefore we are guilty and there has to be something done to fix that. And that's not wrong, it's just not all that the Bible has to say. Sin certainly does incur guilt, but sin has a much more devastating consequence in the world than that. We learn this right out of the gate in the scriptures in Genesis chapter 2. The Lord says, you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly incur guilt. That was supposed to be a joke. You were supposed to laugh. No, okay. No, no, what does he say? When you eat of it, what will happen? You'll die. Okay, similarly, Paul echoes this same understanding of sin in Romans 6 when he says that the wages of sin is what? Death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So sin certainly incurs guilt, but what sin does more than anything else is sin brings death into the world. Sin causes a kind of tearing apart of the human situation. And so what's beautiful about the scriptures is that they acknowledge this from cover to cover, that it's not just about guilt, but it's also about death. The way the Eastern church has always talked about this is corruption, that what happens is there's a kind of corruption gets into the sort of program of humanity and starts to decompose humanity from the inside out. And we have all seen this. This occurs in our physical bodies. It's the reason that my grandmother passed away. It's a result of sin, right? I think about traveling to Africa last summer. I went to a state-run hospital and saw all of these sick people. They don't have hardly enough medicine or help to take care of them. All of that is the result of sin. You've seen it too. So many of us, even in this room, are struggling with physical ailments in our bodies. That's a result of sin. So many of us have been around people struggling with physical ailments. That's a result of sin. Sin decomposes. The human condition. It makes us so that where we should be able to do certain things, we are like this man, we are disabled. Okay? But it's not just a matter of our physical bodies. It's also sin touches us at the level of our minds. So our minds do not work the way that they ought to. And it also uh, uh, impacts us at the level of our spirits. That our spirits, even our emotions, don't do the things that they're supposed to do. So I think about all those people that I have met over the years that when a certain situation is happening, a bunch of people are together and they're all having a good time, that should be a good thing for everybody. And yet there's something about everybody being together causes them to recoil in some way. Well, what is that? Somewhere along the line, sin damaged that thing in them that is supposed to read a comfortable, safe situation and know it to be safe and settle right in. Or I think about all the people that I have talked to over the years for whom they have been damaged by something that happened to them in church years ago. And so when they come into a church building or when they come into a school like this with the people of God gathered, whereas they should be comfortable and happy and settled and they should want to lift their hands and sing for joy and just be, instead there's something in them that's flinching and 
It's hiding. They can't settle in. What did that? Sin did that. Sin caused a disability where there should be an ability. The Bible acknowledges that from cover to cover. And the other thing that the Bible acknowledges, and what I love about the scriptures is the complexity of the approach, is that the scriptures also make a, they distinguish between culpable sin that results in sort of, we'll call it disability, and sin that you're not culpable for. There are times that we do things, we take actions that result in a kind of damaging of our condition, and there are other times that it has nothing to do with anything that we have done. It's either a result of just being born in a fallen world or things were done to us. Either way, this man and these people sitting here at the Pool of Bethesda are a kind of picture of the whole human situation. All of us in some way, shape, or form have things in us that are not able to do the things that they should do. I want you to think about your own life for a second. It might be that this morning you're sitting here and you've got some physical condition, just like this man, and the things that you should be able to do, you are not able to do. But it might also be that there are things that you should be able to do with your mind, and you're finding that those things you are not able to do. It might be this morning that you have some things in your emotional life that you should be able to do, places you should be able to trust, places you should be able to rejoice. You can probably think this morning of situations that you get into where everybody else seems to be having a great time and you somehow you can't map into it. What is your sort of disability this morning? And I want you to just think about that this morning. And then I want you to hear the question that Jesus asks to the man because it's the same question that he's asking to us this morning. Verse six, what does Jesus ask the man? Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Now, this is an astonishing question, I think, because on the surface of it, it would seem like the answer is pretty obvious. What do you mean, do I want to get well? I'm laying here by this stupid pool with all these people. You know, what do you think I'm doing here day after day after day? Do I want to get well, it would seem like it's obvious. And it would seem obvious if we, were having, if we were to have a conversation with any one of you in this room. Hey, do you want to get better from that thing? Oh, yeah, I definitely want to get better. All of us on the surface of things probably would say, oh, yeah, I absolutely want to get well. And yet I appreciate this from Jesus because this question has a way of cutting to the quick. Because I do think that sometimes we say that we want to get well, but there's something that we're holding on to in our spirits that actually betrays what we might say. Yeah, I want to get well, but we've got something else, some other conversation going on. Jesus, two chapters earlier in John chapter 3, says this. The scripture, we didn't get a chance to cover this because there's so much to preach in John, but the great and probably most famous statement in all the Bible, most famous verse in all the Bible, John three sixteen. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So the son of God is the means by which we step into life. And then watch this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever doesn't believe stands condemned already because they haven't believed in the name of God's one and only son. And here it is, verse 19, watch this. This is the verdict, light has come into the world, but people loved the darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. Verse 20, everyone who does evil hates the light, and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. There are times that we might say that we want to be well, but deep down there's a darkness that we are attached to that actually prevents us from obtaining the healing that we might otherwise obtain from Jesus. I remember sitting with a guy some years ago, caught up in an alcohol addiction that he was not really acknowledging, married, three kids, 
And this addiction was starting to eat his lunch. His family is starting to spin out of control. His behavior is becoming more and more impulsive. He's spending lots of money. He's staying out late. It's a huge mess. And his wife basically says to him, you need to go talk to the pastor and get this all straightened out or like there's going to be hell to pay. And so he comes quite perfunctorily and sits down with me and goes, hey, my wife told me that I need to sit down and meet with you. And she thinks that I've got this like alcohol problem, blah, blah, blah. I go, okay, well, explain it to me. And so he starts painting the scenario of his alcohol problem and he started drinking when he was a teenager and it had kind of moments where it got bad and he kind of got it under control. And then there was like one moment like in his 20s where it got really bad and he decided to get into AA and that kind of worked for a little while and he's not really in it anymore. And now, you know, he's probably most nights, he's three or four drinks and he drinks all weekend long. But, um, you know, I got it under control. And I remember sitting with him and I'm looking at him and I know his situation because I've talked to his wife and I know his kids and I know what's happening in his family. And I'm sitting there talking to him and I'm like, man, do you, under, like, do you, like, do you understand that you have a problem on your hands here? Well, yeah, I know I shouldn't drink quite so. No, 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 no. It's not just that you shouldn't drink quite so much. This thing is devouring your family from the inside out. Do you understand that? Do you understand that your wife is like this close to leaving you? Do you understand that your kids no longer can trust what your presence in the house means because you're erratic? And actually what's happening is your kids are forming in their own minds, they're forming their expectations that when dad comes in, dad is either really angry or he's checked out. Do you, do you understand that? Are, are you gonna do anything? Like, man, do you want to get well? And I remember pushing him and pushing him and pushing him. And at one point in that pushing process, he looked up at me glaring at me. And then I saw it. You don't actually want to get well. You might be saying to me that you want to get a handle on your alcohol addiction because you're afraid maybe of losing your family and alienating your kids. But deep down, you actually want something more than you want healing. What you want is your drink. That's what you want. And C.S. Lewis at one point in one of his books said that in the end, God always gives us what we want. There are only two kinds of people. This is not that C.S. Lewis quote, different one. He says, hell is the place where God says, thy will be done. <laughs> what is it that you want? So when Jesus asks this question, it's actually a really important question. And going back to the distinction that I made earlier, culpable sin and other types of ways that sin impacts us, sometimes it's culpable sin that we're attached to. We like our addiction. We like our compulsion. We like the thing that we're doing, and so it continues, to, it continues to power a life that's disintegrating. But sometimes, and I have discovered this too, sometimes the things that were done to us, traumas that we experience, places that we were victimized by other people, we have in some very perverse way fallen in love with our disability. Like I can tell, can't tell you how many people I've talked to over the years that have experienced church hurt and they had every means available to them to let go of the church hurt, but they actually liked how it made them feel to have a story about how the big bad institution out there wounded them. And so whereas Jesus might say to them, do you want to be well? And on the surface they go, oh yeah, I'd like to be over it. Really, what they actually like is all of the social media attention that they gather by telling stories of church hurt. But this is all of us, guys. I think about those people that I have known who have experienced some devastation or some loss in their lives. 
And what they don't, like, even though they would say, I want to be healed, I want to be well, you know what they love more than that? They love being able to tell the stories that elicit self-pity from other people. And the self-pity makes them feel so good and so stable and so loved. And it's nice to get a little bit of pity from people, but you can't live your life in pity. And that's not the will of God for you. The will of God is that you would heal, that you would grieve, and that you would pick up, take, get up, take up your mat. And all of us have places like that. Now to the C.S. Lewis quote in The Great Divorce. If you've ever read this book, it's an absolutely incredible book, but C.S. Lewis paints this picture of these souls that are in hell get an opportunity to come into heaven. And heaven is theirs for the taking if they want it. And most of them, in fact, to a person, every single one of them, it turns out that there's something that they want more than heaven. And C.S. Lewis says this, that there always is something that they insist on keeping even at the price of their misery. There is always something that they prefer to joy. It's all about you. What's the thing that you're holding on to, the thing that you prefer to keeping instead of the joy that's being offered to you? Do you actually want to be well? And the way that you answer that question actually matters. Back to the text. Jesus poses this question to the man and watch how the man answers. Verse 7. Sir, the invalid replied, I have nobody to help me into the pool when the water is stirred while I'm trying to go get in. Somebody else goes down ahead of me. Don't you love that? What was the question that Jesus asked him? Does this answer have anything to do with the question that Jesus asked? Not really. Tangentially at best. This is a simple yes or no question. Do you want to be well? Yes, I want to be well. Or no, I actually like being over here with all these people doing this thing. It's a yes or no question. Instead, what this guy does is he creates all of these reasons why he can't be well. Sir, I got nobody to help me in the pool when the water is stirred while I'm trying to get in. Somebody else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. Verse 9, at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. Notice two things about this moment. Number one, the man assumes that his healing is over there somewhere. And how many of us have done that in our lives? Jesus comes to us and he says to us, hey, do you want to be better? And what we start doing is we start obfuscating. Well, you know, there's all of this, and I have all of these obstacles and all of these things and the healing is over there somewhere, number one. And number two, he assumes, wait, what is the other thing that he assumed? This is like the moment where the train is going to go off the tracks. Pray for me, family. Pray for me, family. Oh, there it is. I got it. It's right in the Bible. Notice that Jesus doesn't say to him, be healed. What does Jesus say to him? Okay. So that's how we all think though. My healing is over there and somebody else is responsible for bringing it to me. And instead what Jesus does is he brings the healing right up close to the man and then puts an action in his hand and says, you've got something to do about this. And that healing that I have brought right now to your front porch will not be accessed by you until you begin to exert yourself into the healing in some way. You have to tip your weight into faith. A couple years back, got to the beginning of 2022, 
assessing the year that was coming, assessing where I was at. And I don't know if you do this, but I would like to take a little inventory. How am I doing personally? How am I doing mentally? How am I doing spiritually? My relationships, all that stuff. I like to kind of take stock. And I got to the beginning of the year and I had this like one thing. And everybody's got a one thing. I had this one thing where I was like, man, Lord, I have seen in my life, I have seen so much progress in this and in that. I've seen so much progress in this area and in that area. And I feel so good about where I am right now, but I've got this like one thing. And it wasn't a matter of sin. It was just like one of those things where there was brokenness in my life where every time, and everybody's got this, but every time I showed up in a certain kind of situation, I would react in this way that was just completely irrational. And I had done everything that I knew how to do personally, you know? It's like I had like read all the books and I'd prayed all the prayers and I'd fasted and I journaled a lot about it. I'd done all the things that I could do personally to try to like rectify this thing. And it just wasn't getting right. And I remember sitting with that thing and holding it before the Lord at the beginning of 2022 and saying, Lord, what do you want me to do about this thing? You know, like I could feel the question of Jesus. Do you want to be well? Do you want to be well? And I held it before the Lord. And I remember just sensing the Lord in my spirit say, yeah, you need to call a therapist. And I, so like, I believe in therapy. I just had never done it. And as I didn't have any, there was no like obstacle in my heart to doing it. There was nothing like that. It was just like, I, I, I hadn't done it. And I think it was actually a point of pride for me. It was like, well, therapy's good for everybody else. You know, and I'm going to tell you all to go get, you know, find a spiritual direction, find a therapist, and you do all that stuff. But meanwhile, I'm Andrew Arndt. I read a lot. And I pray a lot. And I'm a reasonably smart guy. I should be able to, like, will my way to this. And it was like the Lord was saying, would you stop being an arrogant idiot? You need help. And all of us need help. And there are some things that we can do for ourselves. And there are many other things that we actually need somebody to bring the healing to. We need Jesus in the form of one person or another to come to us and offer us the help. So I remember doing it. I was like, what's the next move that you make, you know? So I started having some conversation with some friends. And somebody recommended a therapist. And I emailed this guy. My name is so-and-so. This is really embarrassing. I've got this thing. Would you be willing to see me? We set our first appointment. And it was every Monday night in 2022, we would get together and we would talk about the thing and we would do some work around the thing. And you know what I would love to be able to tell you? I would love to be able to tell you that I loved every single one of those sessions. Yes, breakthrough, Jesus. Most of those nights talking with this guy, I was like, this is idiotic. This is not working. I don't like this. I'm here as a good sport. I'm trying, but I just, and I don't, I don't even know if it's, but I just kept sensing the tug of the Lord. Like I have asked you to do this thing. Get up. And this is your form of get up. Get up, show up for your therapy appointment and walk. Show up for that thing week after week after week after week after week after week after week. I got to the end of 2022. We had kind of a final session. He said, how are you doing? Tell me, take me back over the year. I remember saying to him, I was like, his name is James. It's like, James, I don't know what to tell you. Except that all of those times that we spent together, it did something to me. And that thing for me that had been like this, you know how like when you get a crack on your windshield, if you don't treat it, it goes, right? It'll start to like spider out. 
That's what the thing had been to me, a thing that had like spidered out into my personality. And I said, I said, James, I don't know what it was, but somewhere along the line, it was like the spirit of God like reversed that whole process. And there's still like, there's still like a little nick on the windshield, but man, it doesn't obstruct my vision. And now when I show up to all those places that I used to show up to and I'd be all reactive and crazy and out of my head, when Jesus comes to you and he says, get up, all it takes is, it's like the one action. Like, what's the one thing? And I just want to put that in front of you this morning, church. What's the one thing that you could do about the thing that you're not doing? Your marriage is in trouble. Yay. Welcome to a fallen world. They get in trouble sometimes. What's the one thing that you could do that would put it back on the tracks? Your kids are not responding to you in the way that you want your kids to respond to you. Fine. But what's the one thing that you could do? Maybe you're like, I was in 2022. You've got something going on here, something going on here, something sitting in your body that you just need to get it out. What's the one email that you need to send, the one phone call that you need to make? Like, what's the thing? When Jesus comes to you and says, get up, don't delay. Like, what's the thing? And I want to just encourage you this morning, church, with all haste, to like, we're going to come to the table in a second and we're going to respond in worship. Don't let the sun go down today without taking responsibility for your healing in some way. Because it's there for you. It's the anatomy of healing. Is that it's not over there, but it's right here. Jesus puts the power in our hands to stand up and to begin to the walk. Last thing that I want to say to you, and with this we're going to come to the table. John five fourteen, Jesus finds him. Now the man is well, he's on his feet, he's walking around. And the scripture says that later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see you are well again, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. I want to say one thing to you about this. Have you ever noticed how most of us come to Jesus in acute distress or acute pain? We got something in our marriage that's not working, something with our kids that's not working, something with our finances that's not working, something in our bodies that's not working. And so we come to Jesus and we go, I got this thing and I need you to touch this thing. Lord Jesus, please help. And he comes to our aid and he helps us. And do you know what most people do? They take their healing and they wander away. And the rest of the sickness of the human soul goes unaddressed because they got the one thing that they came for. And I have seen this over and over and over and over again. It's so good when Jesus touches our finances. And it's so good when we have deliverance in some relationship. And it's so good when we get the financial breakthrough or the healing that we want. But are we willing to take our whole sin-sick frame and surrender it to Jesus and let him touch not just that thing, but the whole of our minds and the whole of our bodies and the whole of our relationships? That's the whole invitation of the gospel. Not one thing, but the whole thing. Church, would you stand this morning? I made it a whole sermon without babbling like an idiot. I cannot even believe it. Like, yeah, today, huge victory. I'm laying my head on my pillow tonight with gratitude. What a thing. Church, would you just hold the things, all the things, <laughs> uh, before the Lord here? Yeah. So, Lord, we do. We just pray. I pray for deliverance in finances. I pray for deliverance over marriages. 
I pray for deliverance and breakthrough and healings and relationships between parents and kids. I pray for minds, I pray for bodies, I pray for all of that. I pray that you'd help us understand the actions that we need to take to begin to move forward in healing, to be like this man, to get up, to pick up our mat and start walking around to access the healing that's there. Please help us do that. But more than that, I'm asking that you would save us to the uttermost. That's what Hebrews says. That Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede. And so this morning, we don't want you to touch one piece of our lives. We want you to touch the whole thing. We're asking that you touch all of our minds and all of our bodies and all of our hearts and all of our emotions and all of our relationships and all of our fight. We surrender it all to you. We're not just taking healing and tucking it into lives that are lived apart from the Lordship of Jesus Christ, but we're surrendering all to the Lordship. So come. And Lord Jesus, we remember before you that on the night that you were betrayed, after you had given thanks, you took the bread and you broke it and you gave it to your disciples and you said, take this all of you and eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, you took the cup saying, drink from this all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Just pour it out for many for the remission of sins. Do it whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. So Lord Jesus, lay your hands upon bread and cup this morning. Bless them, break them, fill them with your presence that they might become for us the healing body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Grant and we pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, we invite the servers to come forward to serve communion. Also, there'll be two communion stations upstairs this morning. On the edges, I think, is that right? On the ends, upstairs. So if you're on the main level here, you're gonna exit up the center aisle, come down, receive the cracker, dip it in the cup and take it as you head back to your seat. If you're upstairs, you're gonna exit outside and you're gonna, there's only one that way, just the one side over there. So just filter this way, bread and cup, and then come back around to your seat. Brothers and sisters, I say to you this morning, these are the gifts of God and they are given for the people of God. Come forward and receive communion.
goodness and mercy will follow me.
Turn your hands up like this, New Life East. I do want to pray, actually, over all of you in this room that you've been contending for physical healing for a long time. And you've done everything you were asked to do and it still hasn't happened. So this text creates an ache in your heart. And I just want to say that Jesus sees you and so do we. And I'm also praying over you, all of you who need physical healing, I'm just praying a release of the spirit of life into your body. We pray that spinal cords would work the way that they need to, that organs would work the way that they need to. I curse chronic conditions in Jesus' name. We command them to flee and we stand with our brothers and sisters in faith and in hope of healing. So come healer and do it. And now new life eats to say over you this morning, may the Lord bless you and keep you. And may he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face towards you and grant you his peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, grace, mercy, and peace be with you. We invite our altar ministry team, prayer ministry team to come forward. If you need prayer for anything, we would love to stand in prayer with you. We actually have prayer ministry up in the balcony as well. If you need prayer for anything, we'd love to pray with you. Stick around for fellowship hour, coffee and donuts. Hang out here. We won't tear the space down. Do go get your kids, though. That would be very helpful. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. We'll see you real soon.